Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bike on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow. Mad cow. Mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sunguy Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Real fast before you jump into the interview with us. Some show notes if you're looking for pro wrestling tonight, WCWO in Indianapolis, Indiana, FGW in Hamilton, Ohio, CBEW in Haynesville, Alabama, CCW in Pompano Beach, Florida, KWA in Hutchinson, Kansas, and MPW in Omaha, Nebraska. Tomorrow night, Northwest Pro having the first show in the state of Washington with fans since the pandemic in Port Orchard, Washington. Russell Club is live streaming a show out of Boise, Idaho. You can find me on that live stream. LAW in Houston, Texas. NSPW in Brainerd, Minnesota. EAP in Morrison, Tennessee. SWE in Irving, Texas. XVW in Franklin, Ohio. Heroes and Legends Wrestling in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Intergender Bonanza 8 in Williamstown, New Jersey. TKW in Taylor, Michigan. VCW in Gadsden, Alabama. And PPW happening in Denver, Colorado. But without any further ado, I would like to welcome our guest today. He is formerly known as the Masked Saint when he was actively in professional wrestling, but you might know him even better in recent years as the author of the book, The Mass Saint, and the inspiration behind the movie of the same title. Chris Whaley, welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be with you, and uh, I I hope that I can share some things that will make your show a good one. Absolutely. Now, since it is your first time with this, I will start you out with the traditional first-timer question. I did read the book, and I have seen the film, so I'm familiar, but can you tell the listeners what led to you getting into professional wrestling? Well, um, when I was growing up, uh, I I know this this sounds like uh, a lot of things uh, made up, but I was just a sickly kid. I was constantly in and out of the hospital. Uh, had polio when I was in the fourth grade and in the hospital for three months. And when you're sick and laid up, there's not a lot to watch on TV, especially in those days. Uh, but uh, professional wrestling came on, uh, and I just got hooked on it as a kid. And I, I watched it every time it was on there and uh, uh, had a great doctor who helped me overcome my health problems. And he's the one that really uh, got me going to a, a gym and lifting weights. And so uh, 
once they got all those things straightened out, I started to grow and uh, my body started uh, becoming normal and uh, really got into the weights, got in great shape. Um, my uh, married my uh, high school sweetheart. We graduated from college together, came back to Central Florida. And um, I was just, I was working and I was uh, working out um, and uh, looking in the Tampa Tribune one day, I saw an ad that said wanted professional wrestlers. And I got so excited and I took it over to my wife who was grading papers. She was a high school math teacher. And I showed her the ad and she just kind of rolled her eyes at me and kept uh, grading papers. And I said, I'm going. And I, I, I put some shorts and, and tennis shoes in a bag, and and I drove over to uh, Tampa, and um, I walked in, and there was the guy that I watched growing up, uh, one of the baddest heels in the business, the great Malenko, who uh, is the father of Dean Malenko and Jody Malenko, and and the moment that I walked in, I was absolutely hooked, and um, you know the great Malenko was a great trainer. Uh, great wrestler, great trainer, and uh, it was awesome to be uh, trained by him. And so from that moment on, I was hooked. And even today, you know, a lot of years later, I'm still hooked on it. Now, reading the book and watching the film, I know when you were wrestling actively for around 10 years, uh, you yeah. held down um, other work. You were working for the church, and wrestling was sort of a, a supplemental income for you. When you were wrestling, did you notice a lot of wrestlers that you would work with on shows using it as a supplement, or were you one of the more rare exceptions that use wrestling as a supplement rather than full-time occupation well actually i was uh i was i got into wrestling and and then uh you know the whole time i was in wrestling i was i was looking to uh serve in a church and after i'd been in wrestling for uh, about a year uh a church called me as a youth minister and so I had to get out of wrestling to to take, you know, to do what I, I felt I was going to do for the rest of my life. And then my uh, my wife got pregnant with our first child, and uh, they didn't pay youth ministers very much in those days. And then my wife uh, uh, could not go back to school, and we really needed the money. And I talked to the pastor of the church about um, – I said, you know, I could wrestle a couple of nights a week, and it would really help us financially. And and he said, no, no way, we're not going to turn this church into a circus. And he told me, uh, he told me, no, you know, we're not going to do that. And I, uh, I was pretty bummed out. And and then that Saturday, I'm watching wrestling on TV, and I'm, and I see one of my buddies who's working under a hood, and I said, hey, that's it. You know, I can just uh, change my gimmick and work under a hood, and nobody will know who it is. And that's how uh, the saint was born. You know, I got a white mask and white trunks and white tights and white boots and white cape, and uh, I was the perennial good guy, the the 
saint. And so I was working a couple of nights a week, and the church didn't know it. So, um, But it was kind of funny, though. I would come in with a black eye or bruises and stuff and, and uh, you know, break my nose or scrapes and all kinds of stuff. And it, they they were asking me, you know, what, what happened to you? What happened to you? And I, I told them I fell down, which was true. I didn't lie. I fell down. I just had a lot of help doing it. So uh, that's that's how it got started. And then uh, I had a bad experience in that church, and then I and then I went back into wrestling. And I was uh, I stayed in wrestling until I graduated from seminary in uh, 1988. So my last three years I was in uh, Texas, and of course Texas is a big wrestling state. You know, I was working in. Uh, I uh, got to work in WCCW and uh, Wild West Wrestling and a lot of independent shows in, in Texas. And uh, so I I did that until uh, June of 1988, and that's whenever I became a full-time pastor. In the film, uh, one of the principal characters of it was played by the late Rowdy Roddy Piper. It ended up being his final film. It was also right. the final film of the great actress Diane Carroll. Uh, right. So there is kind of a legacy there as far as uh, historical significance to the film. But uh, when you were actively wrestling, had you known Roddy Piper at all through wrestling or was doing the movie when you first came into contact with him? No, I I, uh, I worked against uh, uh, Roddy about 20, 25 years before the movie. And, you know, when I saw him uh, uh, on the set of the movie and I went up to him and I said, ah, you probably, you know, you don't, remember me and uh and of course he's he was very gracious he's a great guy oh yeah 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 and yeah they did a uh if, if you have the dvd of the uh the mass saint there's a behind the scenes uh thing there and um and roddy talks about that you know that uh hey I, you know worked against the guy 25 years ago and uh you know he was just an incredible guy, one of the best in the business, and not, you know how many how many people can you say not only is one of the best in the business in wrestling, but he was a great actor too, man. I mean, if you do uh, if you IMDb uh, Roddy Piper and you look and see all the uh, the different uh, acting gigs that he had, it, it was incredible. And of course, the uh, the cult favorite, they live. You know that uh, it's still a still a classic. So it, it was great spending time with him uh, on the set of the movie and getting to you know getting to know him better and and uh, reminiscing old, old times and all. So uh, it was a great loss uh, when he died. You know the movie the movie was filmed in November of 2013 and. Uh, Roddy passed away at the end of July of 2014, and uh, just a real sad thing, especially since we're the exact exact same age. Yeah, so very sad. 
Now, obviously you uh, came out with the book that chronicled your life story. In pro wrestling, when someone talks about uh, the book, they are usually meaning the booker who is the person that will uh, hire the talent, fire the talent, and come up with how the show is structured and that type of thing. Was booking something that you ever did in your career, or were you ever asked to book? No, no, no. I never, I never wanted to. Never did it. And um, you know, uh, I, I I think you got to be, you got to be a very, uh, very talented, special person if you're going to do it and do a great job. And you know, there are some of those guys out there, but. Uh, it it wasn't me. I no, I, I never did that. Never wanted to. Obviously, you worked for quite a few bookers in your day. Who would you say yeah. was your favorite booker to work for when you were wrestling? Well, um, I you know uh, WCCW they had several people that were running the office. You know, Gary Hart was there for a while, and then uh, uh, Flamboyant Eric Embry, he uh, he was there. I I really thought, you know, he was he was one of those uh, talented people. He, he knew what he was doing, and he did a great job. Uh, you know, I wasn't really thrilled with Gary Hart, but uh, uh, Eric Embry, I would have to say, he was, he was one of the best. And, you know, uh, Still got a lot of friends in the business. Mark Mero, who worked as uh, Johnny B. Bad, you know, marvelous Mark Mero. Um, he was very partial to uh, to Dusty Rhodes. He he said that Dusty was the best in the in the business. I never had the opportunity to work for Dusty, but uh, he said that Dusty was probably the best in the business. In the era that you wrestled, uh, we know now that one of the big things in wrestling at that point in time was the use of steroids. Uh, We've lost a lot of wrestlers from that era in part because of the abuse of steroids. Uh, We know a lot more about their effects and what they can do to people. It seems like pro wrestling has clean up the steroid problem to at least a big degree. I'm sure it'll never totally go away. But when you were actively wrestling, how um, in front of the rest of the locker room would you say the steroid problem was? Is it something that you would see on a daily basis? Were people uh, talking about it behind closed doors? Was it kind of an open secret, or was it uh, something that you had to be kind of invited into that type of world to experience it? No, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty rampant uh, when you know when I was in the business, and it was very open. Nobody, you know, nobody hid it. Uh, you know, I I saw guys, you know, doing it right in front of me, and you know, I'll never forget seeing one guy 
one guy standing at the urinal and the other one popping him in the butt, you know, uh, uh, while he's standing at the urinal. Um, but, you know, I, I thank God, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I, I knew a long time ago that, you know, if, if that stuff was affecting your muscles, you know, your heart is a muscle and it's definitely going to affect your, your heart. And I, you know, I love the business and, and I even had, you know, had a guy tell me one time, you know, you, you blow your body up and I'll make a star out of you. Um, I, I, I was smart enough, uh, not to get messed up in that. And, uh, you're exactly right. You know, you look at the people that whose lives have been uh, taken very quickly uh, because of because of steroid abuse. It's just just a tragedy. And you know, I'm I'm glad they're cleaning it up. I, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. It'll never you know be completely cleaned up. But um, I just you know, I'm I'm very thankful to have a little bit of sense, and I didn't get get involved in that because it was it was very open, very uh, very rampant, and and very accessible to anybody who wanted it. And and there was no, you know, there was no rules against it in those days. Nobody was saying anything bad about it. And uh, I think you know it didn't become an issue until. Uh, Vince had already, you know, taken the WWF to hot, to new heights, and and you know had all those uh, all those guys that were so uh, mixed up with steroids, you know, at that time. One of the things that the steroids were designed to do uh, was to help speed the process of healing from an injury, uh, they were great if you tore a muscle or something like that to speed up the healing process. Wrestling, of course, is a business where you're just going to expect to be injured at some point in time. It happens to everybody that's in it for very long. I know that you had a fair share of injuries in your career. What are some of the injuries that you had to battle? Well, uh, you know, I had uh, five five knee surgeries. I, I've torn both ACLs, MCLs. I've had uh, uh, lateral releases done on both my knees, uh, dislocated hips, and uh, broke pelvis, and broke all my ribs, and cracked my sternum, and both collarbones. I've had both shoulders surgically repaired, and probably over a hundred concussions, and broke my nose so many times I can't breathe out of it and just uh deaf in one ear from getting hit in the ear so many times and uh you know other nicks and bruises neck injuries back injuries and all of that but uh, you know it, I, I I still wouldn't change it there's a lot of injuries you just work uh you work through it you know I I get so uh just flabbergasted at pro sports today you know a guy has just a little bitty thing and he's not they're not going to play him today or whatever you know i i broke ribs uh i broke a couple ribs in dallas one night and wrestled the next night i don't understand uh, the the typical pro athlete today but 
you know, I started a match when I, I got to the arena late because of traffic and I didn't get to warm up and, uh, you know, got my trunks on and, and I was one of the first matches and I jumped in the ring and, and, um, you know, within, within 30 seconds, I pulled a groin, uh, but I still worked 20 minutes with a full groin and you, you just, you just work through it. You know, you had, uh, uh, dislocated my hip and then, you know, work the next night. It's just, it's just part of it because, you know, especially in those days, uh, if you didn't work, there's somebody standing there ready to take your place. And, uh, if you wanted to keep working, you, you did. And, and unless you were a big, big name, you know, you didn't have that luxury of, of, uh, you know, taking some time off to heal. You had to just work through your injuries and do it. But the, you know, you couldn't do that with ACLs. But um, I, I definitely got back into the ring too quickly after ACL injury, and and I'm I'm definitely paying for that today. You know, I got my knees are horrible today, and um, the biggest reason is because, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't give it enough time to heal before I got back in the ring. That's. Uh- Definitely something that a lot of wrestlers uh, have in common with you. We tend to think we can get through it and get in there way before it is wise to get back to things. Yeah. Now, one of the moves that was more popular in your uh, time in wrestling, I think, than perhaps it is today, although it is still a very, very common move, is the drop kick. Uh, we had uh-huh. guys that just threw an amazing drop kick, just picture perfect. They had the height, the execution, uh, going back maybe a generation two before your own generation, guys would use it as a finishing move. In your opinion, who would you say had the best drop kick in wrestling? Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think Ricky Steamboat had one of the, one of the greatest drop kicks. I mean, that guy just, he, he just seemed to move so flawlessly and get up there. I mean, I did drop kicks, but, uh, every time I, every time I did a drop kick, I, 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 to myself, I said, that was horrible. I didn't, I didn't get up high enough. I didn't do this or whatever. Uh, but I don't think any match you ever see a Ricky Steamboat that uh, it just it just looked like second nature to him when he did it. And uh, uh, you know, I I worked with a uh, a guy in Texas uh, by the name of Solomon Grundy. His name is Tim Haygood. Uh, uh, he he was in Texas a long time. I know he worked for Mid South, and then I think his last ten years were in Mexico. He was a superstar in Mexico. But Grundy, Grundy weighed 465 pounds, and he could he could get up and do a drop kick and kick you right in the chest. He could do bumps off the rope. So, uh, you know, that was also an amazing one. I mean, Ricky, because of what he could do, but uh, Grundy, to be a guy that big, 465 pounds, and he could get up and drop kick you, that was pretty amazing too. 
He definitely had a very good drop kick for a man of that size, for sure. Yeah. I talk about doing 20 minutes with the uh, uh, muscle injury and 20 minutes, especially back then, wasn't uncommon for a length of a standard match. Uh, they were longer before things were geared towards television as much and time constraints cut down the yeah. length of matches on the average. But what would you say was the longest match that you had? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The longest match was, I don't know, probably, uh, uh, you know, 40 minutes, 40 to 50 minutes, which was, uh, you know, it was long. Uh, I, I think in, you know, in my day and era, it was mainly the main events that would go that long. And, um, you know, I, I didn't get to do a lot of main events. But uh, those were the ones that that went, you know, with a one-hour time limit or whatever, and, and the guys would uh, do a, you know, Broadway or draw. Uh, but uh, when you're doing, when you're going that long, you know, a lot of it depends on who you work with. I heard a, a, a friend of mine talk about working with Ric Flair, and he said he did like 48 minutes with uh, Ric Flair and it felt like it was five minutes long because Rick was such a great worker. So, you know, it, you, doing, doing that length of uh, a match, uh, you know, it all depends on who you were working with and how good that person was. And uh, so, um, you know, I, I just really think that, uh, this day and age, I don't even, you know, I don't watch a lot of it today. But I don't, I don't think anybody's doing matches that long anymore, are they? You know, you're, you watch a lot more than I do. Do you see people? I mean, see uh, organizations doing matches that long today? It is very rare. Like you will occasionally yeah. see a match that might go forty to forty-five minutes, but it's definitely the exception and not the rule. Yeah, yeah. Especially with you know all the you know all the TV matches today and all. There's no way they can do those you know unless it's a pay per view. Exactly. Right. One of the things that has been in pro wrestling for the last thirty years or so is the use of a religious-based gimmick. We've seen a lot of people uh, base what they do in wrestling around some form of religion. Uh, Brother Love was a form of that. Uh, Devon Dudley had a, a religious-based gimmick at one point. Um, Shawn Michaels used religion and when he came back as sort of a quasi-gimmick, I guess you would say. As someone that comes from both wrestling and from the church what is your opinion when wrestlers base what they do in front of the cameras for wrestling off of religion 
Well, you know, when when I was in the when I was in the business, there really were not a lot of uh, uh, a lot of guys who were, you know, I would say were Christians. You know, when I was uh, in the business, and uh, I was kind of an anomaly. Uh, this day and age, it's it you know it's different. Uh, Ted DiBiase has a, a great ministry, and you know he speaks in churches all the time. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels, uh, he he did a lot of promotion for the movie, uh, The Mass Saint. I was very thankful for that. Uh, I've heard that uh, you know Mark Calloway, the Undertaker. I've heard that he's a Christian now. I know that. Uh, uh, Tully Blanchard uh, is a believer, and you know I, I could name a bunch more. Uh, I think it's perfectly okay if you're, you know, if you're sincere and you're, you know, you're using that. Uh, you know, that's. I, I'm just you know, really thankful that we got more guys that are talking about their faith today. As far as using it as a as a gimmick. You know, uh, I don't know. There, there's been, there's always been hucksters, you know, since the beginning of time, and and uh, <laughs> uh, I guess it it works pretty good as a gimmick. It 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 wouldn't, you know, bother me because of you know knowing that it is a gimmick and being in wrestling. But uh, and usually those guys uh, end up you know, getting their just reward anyway, and that makes the fans even happier. So uh, I, I guess they're going to continue doing that until Jesus comes back. So so it's going to happen. Well said. Well, at yeah. this point, my co-host QT is standing by, and I know that he has questions for you as well, so I'm going to pass things over to him. Okay. What's up, QT? Well, thank you, Sangai. Hello, Mr. Whaley. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I can't complain. It does no good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr. Whaley, you talked about today's athletes that tend to not play with injuries. Well, part of that might be the money. Take, for example, the boxers in the 1940s and 50s. Boxers Mm -hmm. such as Sugar Ray Robinson, he had 150 Mm -hmm. fights. Rocky Graziano and Tony Zale fought six to seven times a year. But today's boxers, like Waldemir Kalichko, the great Russian heavyweight of 15 years ago, only fought about twice a year. But after taxes and expenses, his net profits per three-minute rounds after taxes was estimated at 750000 to or about 200000 every minute. This is Waldemir Kalichko. So yeah. I think today's athletes tend not to risk injury because financially they don't have to. Your opinion, mm-hmm. please. Well... You know, if you're going to get in the business, and you know, if it if it if it's your life and your your business, uh, you're only in that business because of the people who sit in the stands to watch you, and 
you know, uh, I, I always thought of the guy that's, you know, working the, uh, you know, shift work or, you know, working overtime every week. And, uh, you know, th- those guys, a lot of times they go in sick. Uh, they work when, you know, they got tragedy in their life and uh, they're not making $100,000, you know, a minute or $200,000 a minute. You know, they're just, they're living from week to week and all. And, uh, you know, you you wouldn't be in the position that you are in unless you had a fan base and people watching you. And so I just think it's kind of an insult to the people who spend their hard-earned money uh, to watch you and for you to, you know, to wimp out with some minor injury. That's just my opinion and all. And I, money, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, Bobby Jones said that uh, money was killing the sport of golf because, you know, he did, he was an amateur and he did it for the, for the love of the game. And, um, you know, my wife's listening as we talk. We've been married 40, 46 years, and she would probably tell you that we spent more on doctor bills than I made in those days. Uh, but that that's just me. I'm gonna I'm gonna work no matter what, unless I physically can't do it. And so it's just hard for me to understand people that don't do that. Well, that's uh, I can see what you're saying. Back in the 1950s, there was a golfer named Ben Hogan who mm-hmm. was one day traveling down the highway with his wife, and he got into a bad uh, automobile wreck. And right before the crash, he threw himself in front of his wife, and uh, he bore the brunt of the injuries much like right. uh, the crash of Tiger Woods, but he wasn't making near the amount of money that Tiger Woods Woods was, and he came back from, like, punctured lungs and uh, leg injuries. Ben Hogan, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great story. They made a movie about that. I think Glenn Ford uh, played the part of uh, Ben Hogan in that. It's a great movie. And makes me have even more respect for the guy uh, to to do that. You know, uh, uh, who you know who who would have thought that you would see uh, athletes today making the money that they make? Uh, you know, you look you look at the NBA. You know, I think somebody making five million a year, they're 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 making uh, pennies compared to you know LeBron James. And, some of those other guys. I mean, it's for playing a kid's game. So, uh, in my wildest imagination, I, I had uh, I had a conversation with uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Uh, he and his dad came into the dressing room one of the last times I, I wrestled, and he had just uh, he had just graduated from the University of Miami, and and I, and I was talking to him. I said, "You're going to play football?" And he. Uh, he said, no, I'm going to wrestle like my dad. And I was like, man, you're crazy. Think of, you know, you can make some great money playing football. He said, no, I'm going to wrestle like my dad. Because I'm saying that from my experience because, I, you know, we didn't make an exorbitant amount of money in my day. I mean, you made good money, but you didn't make money like they did today. 
And it's a good thing Dwayne didn't listen to me because the next year he went to the WWF, and I think he made six million bucks the next year. So good thing he didn't listen yes. to my advice. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Mr. Whaley, as you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson is famously known for the people's eyebrow. Would you say that your wife would say that your people's eyebrow is just as famous as the rocks? Uh no. <laughs> oh, okay. No, she would she wouldn't say that. And of course I work with a hood, you know, I work with a mask and so nobody nobody got to see my eyebrow and uh That's uh, true. You know, that's you know, it's kinda like uh Rick Flair when he goes, Woo you know, uh that that's that's his signature and uh the rock, you know, that, that raised eyebrow, that was his signature man. He he did it. He did it perfectly. But of course, he had the built and everything else to go with it too, and the charisma. And uh, he was, you know, an incredible athlete. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, Mr. Whaley, you said that your wife was teaching math at high school. The day uh-huh. you showed her the wrestling tryout article in the newspaper. Now, my uh-huh. question is. Did she teach you some math principles like distance, force, and leverage to help you in your wrestling? No, she's listening. She's laughing. She's laughing now. No, no, she's. You know, uh, she was. She was great though. When because uh, we we graduated from college together, and uh, had it not been for her, I would not have made it through college because uh, she helped me with uh, math. In uh, in order to get through college, but I helped her with the writing projects too. So we helped uh, we helped each other. But uh, no, I you know the the all those uh, different math uh, equations that you shared. She didn't she didn't share that with me about wrestling. She was just uh, please don't get hurt. We don't need to be spending more money on hospital bills. Uh-huh. Oh okay. Well, Mr. Whaley, if your uh, wife had gotten into wrestling, would she be a natural baby face or heel? Uh, I I think she would have made a great heel, you know, uh, being a high school math teacher. They're not liked by their students, you know, so she would have been a good heel. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, Mr. Whaley, there have been quite a few athletes who have gone into the ministry, like heavyweight boxer George Foreman and football player Tim Tebow. I I was wondering if you had heard about the track athlete and gold medal winner in the pole vault in the 1956 Melbourne Games and gold medal winner in the Helsinki Games in the pole vault, uh, they called him the vaulting visor, Bob Richards, who went into the ministry. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, Bob Richards. He was, uh, uh, you know, just an amazing, incredible athlete. But he was also uh, he was, you know, great in the ministry too. So uh, that's that's really, uh, I think, one of those. Uh, one of those things that encourages me, you know, uh, at, especially when I was a, a little boy, there was a, the world's strongest man at that time. I think his name was Paul Anderson. 
but he was also a very dedicated uh, Christian man, and um, I, he was a big inspiration for me uh, as a child, too. So uh, I hope that, you know, I, I've had that opportunity to be an inspiration uh, to some, some some younger guys who, you know, who also go into the ministry. I don't know if I have, but I hope I have. Uh, because I certainly uh, was blessed by some of those great athletes, too. Yes, Paul Anderson was a uh, power lifter out of the state of Georgia, and I believe he was the first man to deadlift 950 pounds. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yes. So some of the things that he did, I know he made the Guinness Book of World Records uh, on a couple of things, and... um, just unbelievable strength uh, back back in those days, you know, when when they didn't have all the benefits that athletes have today. I think his were just God given, and and uh, he was just one of those unique individuals. Well, Mr. Whaley, uh, uh, concerning Bob Richards, he was ordained in 1946 as a minister in the Church of the Brethren, and this led him to being nicknamed the Vaulting Vicer. Future tennis player Billie Jean King, uh, he, she was in his uh, church, and Richards one day uh, asked Billie Jean King when she was 13 or 14, he asked her, what are you going to do with your life? And uh, Billie Jean was very inspired by Bob Richards, and she said, Reverend, I'm going to be the best tennis player in the world. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and she ended up uh, fulfilling that, too, because she was the best in the business uh, in her time. Yes. Yeah. Well, Mr. Whaley, after a day of shooting on the set uh, of your movie, would Roddy Piper take you aside and offer to teach you how to play the bagpipes or just play for you? <laughs> no, there's no no playing of the bagpipes on the on the set of the Mass Saint. No, we, he was uh, when when he wasn't uh, behind the you know the the camera, he was kicking back and taking it easy, uh, which is what he should have done because. He put he put every just like he did in wrestling, you know he put everything into it, and uh, so when he was doing a film, he put everything into it. So he was he was kicked back, but there was no bagpipe, none at all. Okay, all right. Well, Mr. Whaley, are there any truths to the rumors uh, from my wrestling sources out of Shelton, Washington, that you are secretly learning how to play the bagpipes and you plan to serenade your wife with the bagpipes for your 50th wedding anniversary. Now, how in the world did that get out? You know, that's, that's amazing. We're 3000 miles from you guys and somebody's, uh, finding out all this information and, and my wife's listening and that just blew it for her. So, Oh my goodness. You know, it's only going to be four more years, and we'll be married fifty years, and and 
Now she's going to be expecting me to play the bagpipe. So now I got to do good. Thanks a lot. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Well, Mr. Whaley, say if you were breaking into the wrestling today as a young 20-year-old, are there any women wrestlers out there today or let's say 20 year, 10 to 15, 20 years ago, that you would like to have tag teamed with. For instance, I hear Molly Holly, who worked with the Hurricane, was a pretty devout woman and on the straight and narrow. Would you have liked to be part of the Hurricane, Rosie, and Molly Holly team? No, I think I would have. Uh, I think I would have rather worked with the fabulous Mola. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was Fabulous the best of the best. Yeah. She okay. Was, uh, she was incredible. I don't know how, how long. I think she. I think she worked about five decades. It's it's incredible how long she worked, and and uh, of course, you know, she was the women's champion. I don't know how many times, and uh, just a great worker in the ring, and. Um, I, I'm kind of sad I never got the opportunity to do that. Okay. All right. Well, Mr. Whaley, the late 50s saw the rise of the beat writers, of whom the major three beat writers that come to mind are Allen Ginsberg, who wrote the book Howl, Howl and Other Poems in 1956, William S. Burroughs, who wrote the book Naked Lunch in 1959, and Jack Kerouac, who coined the phrase Beat Generation and who wrote the book On the Road in 1957. My question is, were your parents part of the Beat Generation, a collection of semi-misfits who gathered in in uh, coffee houses, especially in New York City and San Francisco, preferred to drink espresso, played the bongos, and loved to read poetry and each other and uh, philosophy and talk about society revolt. Were your parents a part of this movement? That's what I'm asking. You know, I, I keep waiting for somebody to come out and tell me I'm on candid camera with these questions that you're asking. That, uh no, my my family was not that. My dad was uh, a long distance truck driver and fifth degree redneck. Uh, he had a third grade education. Uh, my mom uh, had a seventh grade education, and they grew up in in South Alabama. You know, picking cotton and and working in the fields, and uh, they definitely weren't a part of the beat riders at all. How long did it take you to it's, come up? How long did it take you to come up with that question? Oh, and right off the top of my head, in an instant, when I oh, read your okay. book, The Saint, it reminded me of of uh, Jack Kerouac influence. You remind me of Jack Kerouac a little bit. Okay, I don't yes. know. Is that an insult or is that a <laughs> is that a oh, compliment? It's the highest compliment. Very high compliment. Oh, the highest. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Well, well Mr. Uh, QT, let me ask you a question. 
Oh, okay. How long have you been a professional wrestling fan? Now, how old are you? How old are you? Oh, well, right now I'm uh, uh, 60. 60? Okay. All yes. right. We're not that far apart. Uh, we're not that far apart. But have you always, Mr. QT, have you always been a wrestling fan? Oh, yes. Ever since I was a little kid and I watched uh, Portland wrestling back in the uh, early 70s, with Don Owens in Portland, oh, wow. and I saw a young Roddy Piper, Jesse Ventura, and Playboy Buddy Rose on the TV. I was hooked. Oh, wow. Man, that's the best of the best. I'm not a Ventura fan, yes. but that's, the others are okay. Oh, like uh, Dutch Savage and Bull Ramos? Yes. Oh, yeah. Man, oh, man, you really go back. Those are some great names. Great, great. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I w- I've been a wrestling fan ever ever since, and and the commercials for Portland Wrestling they used to have the muscle cars of the late sixties and early seventies. They would go yeah. for about three thousand five hundred dollars. Really? That's yes. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well. Uh, Mr. Whaley, at this time, I'm going to hand it back over to Sign Guy, and I wish you good luck in your bagpipe lessons so you can serenade your wife for your 50th. Well, God bless your ministry. Thank you so much, QT. I appreciate that. Oh, okay. Back to you, Sign Guy. Thank you, QT. Well, Mr. Whaley, I know your book came out a number of years ago. But what was it that struck you that at that point in time, it was the right time for you to put pen to paper and write your life story in book form? Well, you know, I had the, uh, I had the idea for it for, you know, several years, and I tried to find – uh, a ghost writer because I didn't look at myself as an author or a writer. I did. I just didn't see myself doing that. And I, uh, I tried, you know, with several people to do the ghost writing and it just didn't work out. And then, uh, you know, one, thanks to the, you know, the personal computer, uh, one Saturday I was sitting at the computer and I started writing and, when I, I got through, I printed it out and I showed it to my wife and I said, "What do you think?" And it was the uh, it was the first chapter of the the Mass Saint. <clears throat> my wife read it and she said, uh, "That's great, keep going." And so um, I just you know I kept kept going and I I worked on it. it took me you know a couple of years and I finally uh, finally got it all together and and. Uh, you know, who would have ever thought that I could do it? But I was just thrilled that I could, and I I just kept going. You know, I wrote a I wrote a second book uh, that uh, is a good possibility of being made into a Hallmark movie, and uh, we just finished uh, our third book uh, called Mr. President. It's about the uh, world heavyweight wrestling champion becoming the president of the United States, and it's it's a great read, and I can't wait to get it published. So. Uh, you know, I never thought I, I never saw myself as a writer or author, but I'm so glad that, uh, 
I had my wife's encouragement, and I just kept going and, and finally got it done. Now, was the most recent book in any way influenced on our most previous president, who was, in fact, a WWE Hall of Fame member? No. Uh, I wrote it with another wrestling buddy of mine. We got into wrestling together back in 1978, and so we actually collaborated on this book. But um, now QT will know this. There used to be a guy, a comedian, by the name of Pat Paulson, who ran for president every four years. And um, so this book is about uh, two lives that kind of parallel. One is a, a sleazy comedian who runs for president every four years. And unbeknownst to celebrities that he gets autographs from, they are signing an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate. And so um, he gets the world heavyweight wrestling champion to give him an autograph. And the world champion doesn't realize he's signing an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate. And um, so Anyway, there's a big scandal with the Republicans and a scandal with the Democrats, and he ends up winning the presidency, and then he has a heart attack while he's making his acceptance speech, and that throws the world heavyweight champion in as president, and he starts putting all of his wrestling buddies in his cabinet, but didn't have anything to do with Donald Trump. Fair enough. Yeah. In the book... Uh, one of the things that you discussed at length was the match you had with the man that went on to become The Undertaker. Uh, you wrestled him in a match in Texas with your family in attendance for that. Uh-huh. In the last several months, The Undertaker has formally retired. Uh, he had a ceremony in the ring to mark his actual formal retirement appears to actually be done. What do you think of the Undertaker's career having been in there with him as a performer when he was getting started and seeing what he became? All right. What? Ask that question again. What do I... What, you what do you again, think please? of uh, the Undertaker just having been in there with him when he was in early in his career and seeing what he actually became with his career. You know, I, that guy had just done an unbelievable uh, job. You know, I think, I think when I wrestled him, I think we both made 50 bucks when I worked against him and he, you know, he went on to, to be at the very, uh, you know, pinnacle of the business. Of course, he owes a lot of thanks to Vince McMahon for that because Vince is the one that made him into the Undertaker. But you know, he was he was great with that gimmick, and he uh, you know just an unbelievable athlete. Guy's like six foot eight, three hundred fifteen pounds. Uh, he had a he had a crew top whenever or a flat top whenever I wrestled him. He looked like Howdy Doody, uh, but man, did he! He'd get all out of the business that he could get. Uh, you know, how many WrestleManias did he work in? And, uh, you know, he just, 
he just he just did an incredible job his whole career. So he can he can go out gracefully knowing that uh he did the best that he could and he was he was one of the best of the best. Very proud of him. We're down to the last few minutes of the show today, so I want to make sure you have ample time. So if there's anything you would like to say to our listeners, plug and promote anything and everything, the social medias, how to get the book, um, any upcoming interviews you have, whatever you would like, the floor is all yours. Well, uh, first of all, I want to... Thank you very much, you and QT, for having me on your show. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a, a big name in, in today's wrestling. You know, mine's from the past, and mainly people know me because of uh, the book, The Mass Saint, or the movie, The Mass Saint. So thank you guys a whole bunch for having me. Uh, I, I love, you know, I love the fans of wrestling, and, um, you know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, under my own name, uh, I usually usually have about five thousand friends on Facebook. But if you can friend me on Facebook, because uh, some of them I have to get rid of because of some of the things that they put on. But uh, you can you can check me out on Facebook, friend me on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. And uh, if you haven't read The Mass Saint, I, I actually think the book is better than the movie. Uh, but that's just me. But you can uh, you can get the uh, the book on uh, Amazon. I wrote a Christmas book too that came out in December uh, called Harold's Heavenly Christmas. Uh, if you just Google my name, it'll come up. And um, I I love I love hearing from people. I'll give you my email address. Anybody that wants to ask me any questions, uh, my email address is uh, the Mass Saint. And that's uh, M M A S K E D the Mass Saint five nine at gmail dot com. So you're more than welcome to contact me that way. Uh, you know, I did an interview with a guy from Ireland right before this interview, and then I've got one next uh, next week. I can't remember the exact name of it, but I always post them. If they post it, I post them on Facebook. Uh, so, you know, that, that people can listen to it again. And um just thankful for every opportunity I've ever had because uh, God has blessed me in more ways than I really deserve. And uh, thank you, uh, uh, Jason. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, QT. Well, it was definitely our pleasure to have you on here. I want to thank you for taking time to be with us. I Greatly enjoyed the book, and at least a couple of times when I was reading the book in various places, I had people comment that they had read it as well, so I know it's a very, very popular book. Also enjoyed the film, so fans, definitely buy yourself a copy of the book. Get a copy of the movie. I think you're going to enjoy it, and you can jump on the YouTube. You can see more of Chris Whaley. Uh, He's got a a lot of material up there, both wrestling and interviews he's done. So enjoy that. We will be back with you Sunday afternoon. Dick the Bruiser hey, uh, Jr. will be with us out of the great state of Indiana. So make sure you have plans to be with us. And we will talk to you soon. Everybody stay safe out there and support your local independents. <laughs>